0: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 60, The Lelantine War. <music> A couple of episodes ago, we covered the First Messenian War in Archaic Greece. It's time for another epic Archaic Greek War. This one was bigger but we know less about it also with me today is dan hi there how's it going dan well i kind of lost my voice so
2: i'll be talking like i've done a lot of whiskey and cigars today
1: (laughs) here's a spoiler alert people he probably had a lot of whiskey and cigars i did absolutely not do that (laughs) Uh, The the thing was
2: that I I did an event for another podcast. Uh, It was the uh, 31-year anniversary is maybe the wrong word, but it was 31 uh, years since uh, the Swedish Prime Minister was shot Mm -hmm. pretty close to where I live in Stockholm. So I took some patrons from uh, that podcast, had dinner with them and gave them a guided tour of the murder site, the Prime Minister's way to the murder site, and the... Uh, the murder is still unsolved, so we followed the clues about the killer and the way he got away. And then we went to a bar and then went back to the murder site because the murder happened at 11.21 PM and met up with a lot of other people. And uh, during that evening, I was screaming a lot, so <laughs> my voice <laughs> became like this.
1: Hey, that's how, that's how dedicated we are to, to
2: our listeners. Yeah, I want to do that with fan of history too. What what if we all met up in in um, yeah, like Nimrud in Iraq, and we went around there, talked about the Assyrians?
1: Oh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't think I'd be allowed to come back into my own country these days. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) So yeah. Well. So
2: I us talk a bit about uh, the general situation in Greece. We have talked about the Greeks for quite some time now. They ca- came out of the Dark Age. Um, the island of Euboea, the second biggest island in the Aegean Sea, sort of became the center of Greek culture for this period. And that is about to end in this very episode. We also saw the fledgling city-states of Archaic Greece, Sparta, Corinth, uh, Athens, etc. And they will now rise to the forefront because the two city-states on Euboea will duke it out in this episode. It's Chalcis and uh, old Eritrea. And they will fight. But I think uh, you... Mm -hmm. to now channel the ancient Greek author Thucydides.
1: Okay.
2: He was an ancient Athenian historian in general who lived 460 to 400 BC. That is, he is much later than the events we're going to talk about. And he wrote the book, History of the Peloponnesian War. Uh, Some people name him the father of scientific history because he is a bit more scientific than Herodotus, who is before him. Because he doesn't... Tacitus doesn't talk about the gods in his histories.
1: Okay, go ahead. Okay. I will strike a scholarly Greek statue pose as I speak. For the Greeks had not yet been brought into union as subjects of the most powerful states. Nor, on the other hand, did they of their own accord make expeditions in common as equal allies it was rather against one another that the neighboring peoples severely made war but it was chiefly in the war that arose a long time ago between the chalcidians and the Er eretrians that all the rest of hellas took sides in alliance with one side or the other. So the Greeks themselves
2: then considered the Trojan War in 1200 BC a major event and the Peloponnesian War in 431 to 404 BC as a major event. But between these times, the only time the Greeks came together and fought each other (laughs) en masse was the Lelantine War. And the Lelantine War then happened in about 725 BC, which is why we talk about it here in the in our narrative. Uh, when I started to look into this, I expected an epic story like we had in the first Messenian War, with names, with cool details and stuff, and I was quite disappointed. So this will be very. Sort of general, and uh, we will discover that most of the things we know are probably myths. <laughs> but the Lelandine War then seems to have been an epic conflict between the neighboring city-state uh, Calcis, Chalcis, I don't know what the English pronunciation is.
1: Um, uh, either way, Calcis, Calcis, Calcis okay, is probably that,
2: right. I'll try to go with Calcis for this episode. Uh, Calcis and Eritrea, this conflict may have involved the entire Greek world, or it may not have, <laughs> as we <laughs> see. Uh, before the Lelantine War, the island of Euboea was the most important part of Archaic Greece. The Euboeans have already founded many colonies, including the very first colony, Almina, that we dedicated a whole episode to, and Ischia, also important. After the Lelantine War, until this very day, until the 2017, Euboea is a backwater with no major political significance. For 2,700 years in the aftermath of this war, <laughs> this island has been <laughs> unimportant. The war enables the states like Sparta, Athens, Corinth, Miletus, and others to become the important city-states of Greece. So now I'll we'll try to dive into the details, but they are super unclear, sadly. So let's take a look at the island itself. This island was populated by the Ionians in uh, days before the Dark Age. The Dorians never came to Euboea, so Euboea should have been untouched by the Dark Age. But the Dark Age wasn't only the Dorian invasion. It was just the general fall of civilization of Greece, and that happened to Euboea as well. Uh, The the Ionians on Jubea are closely related to the people of Attica And thus like cousins of the Athenians Uh, The island is really big But most of it is super uninteresting as well So the two (laughs) major city-states are located pretty close to each other On the Lelantine Plain And that is why this is the Lelantine War. Um, And why we know so little about this stuff is then, of course, as I've said before, that Greeks do not record history before Herodotus, and we are quite far away from Herodotus yet. They also do not have this Mesopotamian urge to write down the cool stuff they did. We don't have many Greek monuments talking that, ah, I... A uh, random Greek guy conquered this place. <laughs> That's not what the Greeks write about. We talked about that. So the dating is super uncertain. Uh, we know that uh, we have a colony at Pithecusea, Itchia that was founded together by Chalcis and Eritrea in the mid-8th century BC. And that kind of indicates that they were still pals at that point and uh, were helping out each other. So I would say that this war happened after 750 BC. Uh, I have gone from on a date in 725 BC then that comes from the archaeological destruction layer of the village of Lefkandi. This is a village on the Lelantine Plain, and it might have been the site of old Eritrea. So it is possible that Eritrea was located here before the war, and then it moved after the war. Uh, there's, of course, no contemporary historical record of this war. Uh, Thucydides is, is a source, but uh, yeah, he's uh, 5th century BC. The other 5th century BC, f- the 5th century BC is when the Greeks do all their stuff. And um, they vaguely and briefly mentioned this war. Everybody knows about it, but uh, they don't know very much. Uh, there are two contemporary poets, Hesiod, that we will talk about in the 7th century B.C., and Archilochus, they talk about the Peloponnesian War, but they don't talk about it in a historical fashion. Uh, they talk about it in poems and in kind of their own stories. But we get some data from these poets. Herodotus, of course, talks about this war, and Plutarch... Uh, who is recording Roman history, mentions the Lelantine War twice in the 1st century AD. So here's a quote from Hesiod, the poet from uh, the 7th century BC.
1: Then I crossed over to Chalcis, to the games of wise Amphidamus, where the sons of the Greek-hearted hero proclaimed and appointed prizes.
2: And we'll talk about this quote later, because here we get the name of a ruler in the war, uh, Amphidamus, and some events. And here is a quote from Archilochus, the other poet.
1: Not many bows will be drawn, nor will slingshots be common. Whenever battle will be joined in the plain, instead the much-sighted work will belong to the swords for the warlike lords of Euboea are experienced in that manner of war.
2: And I think Archilochus wins the, the poet off here. Uh, I think that was more poetic than easier. <laughs> yes. Though a lot is lost in translation, of course. The Archilochus quote is interesting because there seems to have been an agreement that in the Lelantine War you were not allowed to use projectiles, no, not bows, not slingshots. You had to fight it out. And we are still pre-phalanx. So we are talking uh, uh, savage They just run at beaches. each other
1: with sharp sticks, basically.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, we know the site of Eritrea and that is further away from Calcis, but I will make the claim here that Eritrea was populated after this war and that the, the town itself moved because of the war. Uh, archaeology reveals uh, the first warrior burials at Eritrea are from 710 to 705 BC, and the last such warrior burial in 690 BC, so some dating for the war is um, later around 700 BC then. Uh, Calcis will remain occupied, and Calcis will do some stuff after the war, but it's not the, the power center of Greece as it was before the war. The village of Lefkandi itself, that could then have been the site of Old Eritrea, it has no burials. It is destroyed here in 725 BC. So uh, we believe that this was a conflict for power of Euboea. I think it was, yes, that Euboea was the power center of Greece, and it had two centers of power. So it seems natural that they, they would one day fight it out and tried to control the Lelantine Plain, which was the richest part of Euboea. It is close to the mainland. It has good harbors. This is the place to be on Euboea. And the Greek myth about it is that everyone in Greece becomes involved in this conflict. Like, like you, as a fledgling city-state in Archaic Greece, you have to pick a side in this conflict. <laughs> uh, but that is probably an anachronism. That is probably a reflection of the Peloponnesian War. Because then the situation was exactly like this. But my general impression is that people in Corinth wouldn't, couldn't care less <laughs> about this conflict. <laughs> or, or Sparta, for that matter, who are busy with the, the Mycenaean War. Still, it's still going on. And the war we talked about a couple of episodes ago. So let's look at the uh, combatants here. The uh, leadership of Chalcis itself. From the Hesiod Code, we learn that Amphidamas is the king of Chalcis, and that he died in the war and that there was games in his honor uh, when he died and that Hesiod went there and won a prize, probably in a poet competition.
1: <laughs> with there those sweet are, words. <laughs> uh, sorry? I was saying with those sweet words of his.
2: I probably made a better poem for the competition. That was just <laughs> like his travel diary. Uh, some sources has him competing in this competition against Homer himself, and the mm. writer of the Iliad. Well, well. Yes, and we'll talk more about Homer and Hesiod in the 7th century BC. We talked about them briefly in the Greek writing episode, but uh, yeah, they, they need to be talked about more.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Aristotle himself, he says that uh, Chalcis was ruled by an aristocratic clan called Hibopotai and that uh, Chalcis had no king. So that is contradictory. Plutarch has Amphidamas die in a naval battle and we don't have a single name of anyone in Eritrea (laughs) so one guy we know of in the leadership of the two fighting cities so now now you start to get an impression about how bad the sources of this war we have a list of allies on the side of Eritrea you get Argos probably the most powerful Dorian state in Greece at this time you get Messenia But as we know, Messenia is going under right now because of the Spartan invasion. We get Militus and this is what will become one of the most, this is a city in, uh, uh, on the Turkish coast and it's really big and powerful. You also have Megara and Chios signing up for the Eritreans. Athens is notably missing. Athens is quite close to Euboea that uh, either Athens is so small at this time that it's totally unimportant, or the Athenians remain neutral. Uh, You'll find in Athenian history for this period, it's super unreliable. It's like the Athenians will claim that, ooh, yeah, everything was, we were doing great, but archaeology says that "Mm, you weren't doing that great. That's why we talked so little about Athens so far. Uh, here comes the allies of Chalcis, uh, Corinth, uh, Samos, Erythrae, all of southern Thessaly. That's the mainland. If you leave Euboea, there is a strait, which is quite narrow. You mm-hmm. enter mainland Greece, you have Thessaly to the north, sort of outside of Greek proper. And they have cavalry. Sparta is supposed to be on Chalcis' side, but uh, I don't See many Spartans going up here while they are under this oath not to go home until they've beaten up the Messinians. Um, we also have the Oracle at Delphi signing up on the Chalcis side, predicting that Calcis will win this war. And that is probably why
1: the Spartans. I was about to say. have signed up here as well. Let's say whatever. The oracle says, Sparta is right there.
2: (laughs) Yes, and as I said in the Oracle at Delphi episode, this might be a super crucial point for the oracle. They picked the right side in this conflict. And this very pick of Calcis could have been one of the things that propelled uh, the oracle to become the number one oracle in Greece. Uh, there is an ally of Calcis who is named Cleomachus. And we'll talk more about Cleomachus uh, in the few things we know about the war. But now we'll try to construct some sort of narrative about the war. I'm sorry that I, I can't help that the sources are so bad. <laughs> But we know that both cities have impressive navies. They are going all over the eastern Mediterranean at this point, And they have been doing that for perhaps as long as 125, 130 years. Uh, but most sources have this war fought on land. And um, as all Greeks war Greek wars before the phalanx and mostly after, it's a very protracted series of operations. It's not one giant field battle. It's yeah, it's small fight, small fight, small fight, small fight. And this is probably what weakens both the cities. Uh, people remember the, the conduct of the war, the way it was fought. Uh, this is one of the last of the pre-Hoplite conflicts when we don't have phalanxes. And we know that Chalcis had really good infantry and Eritrea had really good cavalry. But they are mostly fighting on a plane, which means that Eritrea has an edge. right? So Chalcis could flee into the hills, uh, but uh, there's nothing there, (laughs) so then Eritrea would win. (laughs) Uh, There is a sanctuary of Artemis Amurasia Strabo uh, at this sanctuary. You know, the Greek gods get, like, local extra names, but Artemis is the goddess of the hunt. Uh, There's a stele at this temple, this shrine, that talks about that confirms actually what that uh, what the, the second poet said that there was an agreement that they couldn't use long-range weapons in this war, so they, they made a the gentleman's agreement. Everybody leave leave your bows at home, no <laughs> slings. We're going to fight this out man to man. We know at some point during the war this uh, Chalcidian king, if he existed, <laughs> dies Amphidamas. We know that uh, the Eritrean cavalry has the edge and they are using it well. The Chalcidians are pressed back by the cavalry and thus enters Cleomachus, the important ally. He comes from Pharsalus on the mainland and he brings the Thessalian cavalry. So now some strong cavalry on the side of Chalcis as well. it could have been Pharsalians fighting in Thessalian style or actual Thessalians. That's uh, an open question. And with this new cavalry done, we, we, uh, the edge goes over to Chalcis. Uh, Cleomachus dies, this general from uh, Pharsalus, and he's buried under great honors in Chalcis as well. So we have two big burial parties in Chalcis for the Chalcidian king and for this Farsalian hero. And that's all we know about how the war went down.
1: Wow. So who won?
2: We have no idea. (laughs) When did it end? We don't know that either. From the little things I said, we sort of get the impression that the Chalcedians kind of won. The Eritrean um, city probably moved, so that indicates that they weren't doing very good. So I would give this to Calcis, but uh, in the end, it turns out they both lost because of this war. And I'll talk more about the aftermath, but now it's time for a sports break.
1: All right. Yeah, (laughs) You know, ancient sports. Here comes your update.
2: (laughs) It's the 14th Olympiad in 724 BC. And at this time, we add another event to the Olympics, the Diolus race. And when I say this, I get the impression that I have added the Diolus race to the Olympics before, but uh, that could have been different sources. The one I read this time added uh, the Diolus race to the Olympics in 724 BC. And I think that's correct. I hope I haven't said anything else here. Um, the original Olympic race is about 200 meters run around the stadium. So now for the second event, they do the unthinkable. They run another
1: lap. Oh, it's 400 meters. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down everybody. Let's, let's take a deep breath and go over that again. <laughs>
2: yeah, Change is bad. Like back in my day, we just used to run
1: one. <laughs> yeah. These kids today. Can't stop running in circles? Of course, running around
2: the stadium twice would be too easy. So what you actually did was run around once, turn around, and run back. Whoa. And that's where the turning post comes in. You have to have a a thing to run around. And then we debate whether it was one turning post or several one for each runner.
1: Oh, yeah. I I remember that.
2: I think we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that, right? So I think it was another dating, ah, uh, no,
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, cause it, it was the debate where there, you know, seven turning posts down there and everybody got thrown or were they all just fighting it out down at the end? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Back to the war. Yeah.
2: So let's look at the aftermath of the war. Calcis will do some more colonizing. They will still be a sea power of some importance india region, but they can no longer project their power to Syria, which they kind of could before. Eritrea will also colonize a couple of times after this, and there is actually signs that Eritrea had a small boom in economy at some point after this. Levkandi is abandoned, but generally the influence of the Yubian island is broken. And now the other... City states are—they um, are free to do what the Eubians did before. Uh, in the colony at Piticusa in Italy, which was co-founded by Eritrean and Chalcis, the Eritreans are thrown out. So this colony is entirely Chalcidian, but as you know, the colony is independent. We discussed that in the colonization episode. Uh, also, the colony of Corsaira was conquered by Corinth in 735 BC and it was supposed to be Eritrean before that Mm. so we see Eritrea losing control of or losing influence in in their colonies Uh, we have a 6th century source that has something to say about uh, Yubia go ahead Brennan
1: all right the wine-rich plain of Lelington is being shorn bare. We have no idea who was sharing it
2: and why, but it's it's said by Theognis. And from this point on, then, Jubean history, which was never very clear to us, becomes even less clear. But we know the island is no longer central. Here is a quote from Cambridge Ancient History, our main source. This is from... Volume three one. I love these books. They're like gigantic books. (laughs) Just, and they sort of constantly re-edit them, but it takes like 20, 30 years to do a new edition of them. This is from page 765 of volume three one.
1: Okay. I'm going to try to channel my teacher voice. I did teach British teacher. Oh, I cannot do a British accent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Me neither. Let's see. Greece owed a great cultural and economic debt to the two Euboean cities of geometric, of the geometric period, to their initiative in trade overseas, to their lead in colonizing. For such early years, the evidence of ancient authors is inevitably patchy or silent but this is an area in which the spade has already served the historian well and promises more.
2: Yeah, Cambridge Ancient History has to look to archaeology here, and the geometric period is the uh, uh, archaeologic era uh, for like this period or before this period. We have to mention the Colony of Almina, the first Greek colony. Uh, Of course... All the Ubeian interest here disappears, and it seems that East Greek states are the ones who are trading with Almina and have commercial interest here after the Lelantine War. And I think that's all we have today.
1: All right. Well... That is it for this episode. Let's see what happens in our next episode, Dan. Well, we will get, we already got in the
2: last episode a new Assyrian king. It's Sargon the second, the true king, and he will entirely take over our story. So the next episode is all about him and then he will just take over everything with his Great charms and uh, his sword <laughs> uh, so this this will pretty much become the Sargon show for a couple of episodes and uh, it's just an amazing story, so stay tuned for that.
1: Okay, looking forward to it everybody get your uh, get your Sargon flags and your Sargon sweaters on because here we go. Please visit our YouTube page. Uh, search for The Fan of History on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and share. Give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite way to consume podcasts is. We'd love to hear from you. Um, don't forget, patreon.com slash history. If you enjoy what we do, it really helps us out. Facebook.com slash history. If you want to follow Dan on Twitter, he's at Dan Horning. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Cerulean Says Hi. So, for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dom. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.